Open your Bibles up to the sixth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. We've just been teaching on various subjects now. We got out of our last series and we may start one up in July, a new series, but just talking about some themes that are important. And here in Hebrews chapter 6, in just a moment, I'm going to begin reading with verse 10. And I want to talk about what I've entitled our lesson this morning, Patience and Your Promise. Or what I subtitled, Confessions of a Quitter. Confessions of a Quitter. Let me ask you a question. Do not raise your hand. You don't have to, you don't have to say, yeah, that's me or anything like that. But how, how many of you internally would be willing to admit today that sometime in your life, you quit something and then later regretted it or wished perhaps you could go back again and do it over. Now, now I, I would think there's probably a 100% response that sometime in your life you've quit something and said, as you looked at it later, you know, I, I really wish I would have thought that through, did something different, understood that better, or maybe handled that differently because that probably wasn't the thing to do at that particular moment. Now, I want to say to you very quickly this morning that there are going to be times in your life that things do come to an end. There, there's no doubt that, that God hasn't called you necessarily to live forever in a, a dead-end job. He hasn't called you forever to live at a, a, a rotten place or in a rotten circumstance. Um, there will come times and moments when things come to an end, seasons will change, doors will open, doors will close, God will be involved in those sorts of things, there's no doubt about it, there'll be different chapters in your life and for a new chapter to start, another chapter has to end, and so all those things I want to say up front are proper and in order, but as I say that, I want to remind you that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and as one who is pursuing the will of God, and ultimately you want His ways in your life, we need to be sure that when the end comes, it's His end and not our end. We need to be sure that we aren't throwing in the towel because we're just exasperated and that God's not saying that uh, it's time for this season to close. We need to be sure as we're looking at our situation or our circumstance that we're not walking away from something that's going on in God's plan, God's purpose, or His intention or promise for our life. Years ago, and this is years ago, I'll just personally I'll tell you, I quit a ministry assignment years ago. And uh, I did what most people do. You know, whenever we do something like that, we always want to drag God into it. That's what we do, you know. When we're exasperated and we're ready to throw in the towel, we just say, well, the Lord's leading me. That's how we do it. That, so we drag God into that moment. And I did just what everyone does. We drag God in it. Well, the Lord's leading me to this. He's directing me. When truth of the matter was, I just didn't like what was going on around me, in me. Uh, and so I just was tired of it. And I just decided I was going to throw the towel in. And I was going to blame God for it. Now, understand how your mind works. You're not thinking in those terms, but as you look back on it, that's exactly what I was doing. And I remember a college professor called me up 
because he'd heard what had happened and what had taken place, and he called me on it. He actually called me up, and he called me on the decision. He said it wasn't a good decision. It probably wasn't the thing to do. I would have hoped you would have pressed through and done all these things. And that rubbed me the wrong way because he didn't know how God was leading me. No, actually, he probably had a whole lot more wisdom than I had. And, and he called me on that. And the truth of the matter is, I just quit. And I don't know whether we would say fortunately or unfortunately, I guess fortunately, God looks at us, has pity on us, and he implements Romans 8.28 in most of our lives a lot, which is he causes all things to work together for good because we love him and we're called according to a purpose. But this is what the tragic part is. Do you know how much God has to implement that verse for most people? Because we make such foolish, dumb decisions at times that God has to move for us and somehow try to untangle the messes that we make. And far too often, we do not understand the biblical concept of patience. 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 What place does does being patient have in the plan of God? If I were to ask this morning, how many of you need more patience, I bet we'd almost get a 100% response to that as well because we live in America and in America we want everything yesterday. And so when we begin to read the scripture and God begins to talk to us about patience, we think patience means 24 hours. We think patience means, you know, to the next two-week pay period or whatever the case may be. We, we have a very defined idea already of what patience is and we need to understand a little bit about how God works in our situation to bring about a promise in your life and the place patience has with regards to that. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, let's just read some words here. It says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. Isn't that good? That right now, whatever you're doing for him, God's taking note, he sees it, and he's not going to forget it. Praise God. He says, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish. And, and what that means is neutral. Sluggish is probably better translated neutral, although a lot of your versions will say lazy. It says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. In other words, God said, I'm swearing on myself here. I just, by my own name and by my own integrity, I'm going to do this thing. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after talking about Abraham, he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And we want to talk for just a moment about patience and your promise. Now, these verses indicate to me that there are two things. You can't just have one of these things to inherit a promise. You must have two of these things by which to inherit a promise from God. And those two things are you must function in faith and secondly, you must exercise patience. Now, let's talk a little bit about patience. First off, let me tell you that patience is not twiddling your thumbs. Patience is not tapping your foot, wanting the show to get on the road. Let's get with it, God. Let's hurry up. 
Come on, time's a-wasting. I know you've got a plan. I know you've got a promise. I know you've got some things you've spoken to me about. I know you're going to work in this situation, but let's get on with the program. That is not patience. The Bible is full of references on patience. It's interesting. Sometimes it's long-suffering, that we're to be long-suffering, which ought to tell you something just in that about what patience means. There may be a little suffering involved in it. The Bible tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is to be patient. The Greek, as I was studying the original language with regards to what patience means, it means that which grows in trial. Patience means in the original language, listen to this, undeserved affliction. The word in the Greek is oftentimes translated synonymously with the words endurance and perseverance. Isn't that interesting? So patience means that there's going to be suffering or affliction. It is something that has endurance attached to it, perseverance. Now, whether you like that or not, here's the key. You won't get your promise without patience. You won't get your promise without patience. Now, why in the world would God require patience from us? This is the thing. I I don't know if it bugs me anymore. I guess I understand his ways enough that I've sort of reconciled myself to how God does things. But there were times when I've often said to myself, God, if you can do something and you know what's going on, then why aren't you getting with it? And it's because he's producing something in me that's more important than what he wants to bring around me. Why would God require patience from us? Number one, he requires patience from us because it demonstrates trust. In the same book, the book of Hebrews, turn to chapter 10 real quick. There's a great verse here that uh, I, I, I just think's one of the best verses in the Bible. Hebrews 10, 36, it says this. It says, for you have need of, and in my Bible it says endurance. But it's one of those words that can be translated and is several different ways. Some of your versions will say patience. It says, for you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God... You may what? Now, you need to get that in your spirit. Until you get patient, you can kiss a promise goodbye. It says so here again, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So this is what the writer says. He says, God knows what's up. He's going to come. It may appear as if he's tarrying, but he will show up. Verse 38. This is what he says. Now... The just or the righteous shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so this is what God's saying. God's saying, I'm going to show up. Don't worry. I'll work in the situation. I'm going to do something. You may not understand it. You may not get it. It may not be according to what you want. But I will work in this situation. But here's the deal. You've got to walk in faith and you've got to be patient. Walk in faith and be patient. And out of that... You trust him. You begin to demonstrate your absolute trust in God. Number two, why would God require it? Because patience yields to God's timing. Whenever you're patient, what's going on is at that particular moment in a very tangible way, you are yielding to the timetable of God. Whenever you're impatient, what you're saying is, I don't like your timing, God. I don't like the way this is unfolding. I don't like that... You, you, you don't see this moment as the moment to do it. What you're basically saying is, I don't, want, I don't like your ways. I don't want your ways. 
In Hebrews 6, verse 15, it's interesting that the writer here uses Abraham. And I'm going to talk about Abraham again a little bit later here, just a moment. But he uses Abraham to indicate how we must wait on the timing of God. How many of you know that, that let's just use Abraham as, as an example, that if you were going to have children, the best time to have children may be in your 20s, your 30s. I know some have even waited till 40s, and that's fine. But in your 90s may not be the greatest time to have kids. That wouldn't be most of our timetables, would it? I, I can remember when, when we'd had our boys, and, and we had the boys earlier in our 20s, and uh, then Kalen was prophesied, uh, of, of a coming child, and I can remember when Tracy shared with me this word from the Lord, and God was dealing with us about Kalen, who was going to come about eight years later from what we thought was our last child. I can remember the things that were going on in my mind. I can remember saying to myself, Lord, we can now just go to a restaurant and finally have a meal. We're not getting up in the middle of the night and, you know, changing diapers and feedings and getting glasses of water. I mean, for those of you that are parents and have had young ones and, and you know, they're grown up, isn't it a great day when you sleep through the night? I mean, it's just, this is wonderful. This hasn't happened in years. Surely, God, this can't be your voice. This couldn't be your timing. No, obviously not. And I can remember all of those feelings. Imagine being 90 years old. I mean, we're talking now's the time for grandbabies or great-grandbabies. That's why, that's why your grandparents is because you can love them and hand them back. But don't give me one. This isn't good timing. And yet, this is the one that is used in order to illustrate that it's not about you. This is such an important point. You are not the center of the universe. If you say, I want the will of God, guess what? Sometimes the will of God doesn't fit into our preconceived ideas and plans and notions. And Abraham had to be one of those. In fact, he got in a little trouble later. We'll talk about that. But there are actually two words for time. I've talked about this before. But you know, the Bible never, you know, we translate things uh, in our English, but it doesn't convey all the time the original sense of what's going on. And there are two words for time. The first Greek word for time is the word chronos, and it's where we get our word chronological from, and it means measurable time. Chronos time is anything you can measure, so seconds on a clock, minutes, hours, days, years, months. Anything that's measurable time is chronos. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully because this may help you. God never intended originally for you or for me to function in chronos. That was never his intent. I can prove that because when Adam and Eve were created, they were created initially to live forever. Think about this. If death was not in the equation of the human condition, if death wouldn't touch us, if death no longer happened, what would time mean to us? Nothing. The only reason time means something to us today is because there's a death date out there somewhere. We know there's a day that we're born and there's a day that we're going to die. We don't know if we're going to get a full long life of, you know, how many years that may be. But the reason time is such a big deal is because we know that there's an ending point to our days. And so consequently, we get all in an uproar about time. We, especially in America, we don't want to have to wait for anything. How many of you have gone to the grocery store and they've got 15 checkout lines and they've only got one open and the line is just a half mile long? 
And then that just irritate the hound out of you. And you're going... And they got four people on break. And you're going, come on. Get somebody checking me out. Show me how to do it. I'll, I'll scan. Because of time. It's interesting. I, I, I can watch sometimes over here at the car wash right next door. And if you get two or three cars just lined up for the car wash, they'll back up and go. Because... They don't want to wait. There's something about waiting that they don't like. It's because you know how we are. We want time, time. It's, it's, it's a waste in God. Can't you see how old I am? Can't you see what's going on? It would make much more sense to me if we got the show on the road much quicker and you would get glory and we say all the things we say to God in order to get him on our timetable. But guess what? God isn't dying. So what does time mean to God? That is why it says in his word this. A day is as a... Oh, doesn't that encourage you? If God ever says to you sometime, I'm going to do it in a day, you keep that in mind, okay? A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. It doesn't mean anything to God. Your chronos doesn't mean a thing. Didn't mean a thing when he looked at Abraham and everybody said to Abraham and Sarah, your body's dead biologically, you can't do this. It's impossible. It didn't matter to God one bit. He's unfazed by Kronos. There are some of us right now, we're thinking, God, you should be doing something in my life right now. You should be getting on with the show. Can't you see my age? Can't you see my circumstance? Can't you, can't you, can't you? And God is unmoved. He could care less. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't care about you. But your timetable is absolutely of no consequence to him. There's a second word for time in the scripture. It's called kairos. Kairos has nothing to do with measurable time. Kairos, although translated time in the scripture, means when everything is in place. When everything is in place. You know when God moves? He doesn't move according to Kronos, because if that were the case, all of us would have wanted him to move yesterday, right? There's something that's so important in us that, God, you really needed to take care of this yesterday, but I'll give you till the end of the day. That's how we would do it. But that's not how God does it. God says this. God says, I'll tell you when I move. When I move, everything will be in its place. Why didn't, why didn't the Lord send his son to die for humanity 24 hours after Adam and Eve sinned. Why was that? He could have. But not everything yet was in place. Because the Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us. See, that's how God moves. Now, you can struggle with that. You can rail against that. You can argue with that. You can be mad about that. And here's the great thing about God is he, did, he is unfazed by your tantrum. He just keeps steady with his plan. So, so you need to understand that God is going to wait till everything's in place. And you know what? He made his own son wait 30 years before he unveiled his ministry. He made David wait decades at the caves of Adullam before he let him into Jerusalem to reign as king. He let Joseph go through false accusations and Potiphar's house and a prison for decades until finally he says, now's the moment that you can come forth and demonstrate my promise in you. Patience yields 
to God's timetable. And finally, number three, patience perfects our character. You don't realize all that God's doing internally in your life until you have to be patient. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, I want to read you some verses. I know the, the scripture will always mess you up. Always remember that. You read the Bible and it'll thoroughly mess you up. Romans 5, verse 3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces, my Bible says perseverance, but it's the same word that says patience. Tribulation produces patience, and patience, character, and character produces hope. So that's what God is doing. The book of James, in fact, probably the most famous verse on patience is in James chapter 1. Beginning with verse 3, it says, uh, we might jump up to verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete or whole, perfect biblically, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so when you're having to exercise patience, there's a character formation that is beginning to take place in your spiritual system that God says is important in order for you to better reflect his character and understand what he is doing in your life. Can I just say this? I heard this from R.T. Kendall, who I think got this from his mentor. But the truth is, the worst thing that happens to too many of us is that we succeed before we're ready. We succeed at something before, we're, before really our character is ready to walk through that thing. And, and it's really a unique American phenomena. I, I mean, we've seen it, whether it be in the ministry or whether it be in business, it, it doesn't matter. You can look at it. There are people, if they succeed too quickly without having certain character formations in their life, they end up crashing. And I'll be the first to admit, and I, hopefully it'll help you admit it, that there were a lot of things that happened early in my life that God meant to be a blessing and to a help, but, but it was far too quick it, it, there was far too much success, and I'm telling you, it'll ruin you. It'll absolutely ruin you. I mean, I'll never forget. I, I grew up on the farm in the summertime. You've heard those stories. And when you grow up in western Kansas on a farm, they throw you the keys to tractors and to grain trucks when you're 12 years old. The minute your foot can reach the clutch, you're driving on the farm. And let me just tell you, that's cool when you're 12 years old. To sit in a big grain truck or sit on top of a big John Deere tractor... And you're driving around, that's cool. But that'll ruin you when it comes to understanding what, by and large, society has said, and with good reason, should be the age for those who drive. Because you throw a car key at a 12-year-old and say, go enjoy yourself on the streets of Charleston, South Carolina. Please tell me I'm not going out of the house that day. Because you give somebody something too early, it'll ruin them. Absolutely ruin them. And so you've got to understand that maybe you think you're ready. Maybe you think it's your time. Maybe you think, why not now, God? And maybe God sees something that says, if I give that to you, it'll ruin you. In my area, I've watched people get ministries. And, 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 and God has gifted them and graced them and wonderful things. But they get this gigantic thing and it ruins them because they don't have a character to sustain it. 
Some of you, even now, you wonder, why haven't I got the, the promotion? Why don't I get the raise? Why don't I? Why don't I? Why don't I? I'm going to talk about this here in just a second. I'm going to give you a quick list. God's working in you to give you a character that will sustain you so that you won't be a laughing stock or a joke or be pointed at and say, yeah, he said he was a Christian, but look what happened. And the only reason it happened was because you weren't patient. You weren't patient. Now, I would hope at a theoretical plane that everyone here would agree at least with the precept that we need to be patient. It's hard to argue with God, isn't it, when you read it in the Bible? And I know everyone would say, yeah, pastor, you're right. You're right. I need to be, I need to be more patient with things. But how do you, how do you, how do you become patient in a profitable, practical, spiritual way? Get your pencils out. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to write this down quick. I'm just going to give you a couple quick nuggets about practical things. You say, where did you get this from? I just wrote these things down. These are some things I've learned. And I don't have all wisdom and all knowledge, but at least I've made a few mistakes that you can learn off of. Wouldn't you like to learn off a couple I've made? Practical tips with walking in patience. Number one, you need to ask the Lord why you are where you are. Before you assume the place that God has put you, before you assume that place is called Gehenna, See, I knew nobody would get that. <laughs> you got it. Gehenna is hell, all right? That, that's the, that, that. You think where you are right now is hell. Before you assume that the place you are is called hell, why not ask God to see if he hadn't brought you to that place? Why am I here? What are you doing? I don't know that I would have picked it, but I sure enough would like to know, God, why it is you picked it for me. Have you ever asked him? The Bible says that you can ask him things. It's amazing how folks will never ask why. Why? And, and you'd be amazed. God might tell you. Why, at this point in your life, you're at that job? Why, at this point in your life, you're at that place? You're in that circumstance. You're in this, this season, whatever it may be. You need to ask God why. I've learned that. Number two, I've learned that your attitude determines your placement. Your attitude determines your placement. Say, well, what does that mean? It means that if you're proud, God puts you in a place where you can be humble. Amen. Isn't that good? Why, you think he's going to enable your pride? You really think that? What does he do? He's, He's more committed to your character formation, so he may place you in a very humbling situation. If you're snobby, he's going to let you rub shoulders with the good old boys. Sure he will. He's going to identify what's going on inside of you. And if it needs worked on, he's going to figure out a way and a place for it to get worked on. I'm going to tell you again, it's not about you and it's not about what you want. It is about him and about the kingdom. And he says, when you seek that first, everything else finds its place. I remember, you've heard me tell those stories. I went to a a seminary. I, I I knew the Greek language. I mean, fluent in Greek. I was better educated than the teachers that were at the grade school that I was working at as a custodian. And I'll never forget having to work for three years. I worked three years at night as a custodian at a grade school. And I can remember going, you've heard me tell the stories, from room to room to room. And I was in the last year of master studies, of church history. I I mean, like I said... I'm not, there wasn't anything, I wasn't being snotty or snobby, but I knew 
just by way of going to formal schooling, I knew more than everyone else that was teaching there. I understood that and knew that, but I was a custodian because I had to work to go to school, and I don't know about you, but I like eating. So that was the door that was open. And I can remember that, that there were times when uh, a, a teacher would want something done and they would call me or ask me. And some of them never knew. They never knew what I did. They never knew I was going to school. They never knew these things. But they would stop and look at me and they would talk to me very slow to make sure I understood that they wanted their chalkboard dust erased. Oh, man. It just light me up. It just irritate me to no end. And you know what? This is, and I would sit, Tracy would come after work and she would come at night because it was at night. And uh, she would come and we'd eat dinner together. And she'll tell you, I'd sit in the car with her. Literally, I would wail. I want out of here. God, look at me. Why would you put someone like me here? Surely you see what's going on. And the answer was, I sure do. That God would say, I see more than you do. And there was something that had to work its way out of me by his hand in that situation. And until I understood that and yielded to that, and the plan and the purpose of God was fulfilled in that location, God didn't open the door. But when my attitude adjusted, it's amazing what God can open. Amazing. And no, you're not the exception. Neither am I. Learn what you need to learn. Don't, you know, I don't know that we can always shorten our time in certain seasons in our life. I'm not sure we can shorten it, but I sure enough know we can lengthen it. If you refuse to get a clue. Number three. Where you are, it kind of dovetails with this number two, where you are determines what needs to be refined in you or die in you. Your current placement is a direct ministry moment from the Holy Spirit to deal with what's inside of you. That's why you're asking God what's going on. What's, what's happening? You got a bad boss? You know what we found out? We, I started to find out that if God put me under somebody it was, and it was a bad placement or I felt like they were bad, I began to realize that the very thing he would put me under was the very thing he was trying to weed out of me. In order that I might not be that. You know why, you know why God put David under Saul? It was to get the Saul out of David. Amen. So you've got to understand. I know we don't like to think that way. We say to ourselves, because we always think better of ourselves than probably we are, but I know we would say to ourselves, well, I'm not that person. You'd be surprised who you might be before that got weeded out. So, so where you are sometimes determines what needs to be refined and you are dying. You Number four, cooperation with God's placement expedites the season you're in. If you decide to fight what God's trying to do in your life, you're going you're gonna to spend a long time there, and I, I'll just give you a clue. If you're going to fight with God, my money's on him. He wins. He wins every time. So you need to cooperate with what God's doing in your life. We have a couple of our sweet ladies here that are about ready to expect children. They're, they're pregnant, and they're coming to the end of pregnancy. And, and when it comes time to give birth to that little promise, when it comes time to finally release that promise into the earth, it is best you cooperate with that moment. 
Because you want to fight that moment and make it... In, well, you won't want to fight that moment because it, it is painful. So cooperate with that. Don't resist everything in your life and what's going on. God maybe wants to do something through that that can produce something greater in you, through you, and for you than you could even imagine. Imagine, why if Joseph would have fought Potiphar and would have fought the prison and would have fought his brothers, can you imagine? He would have been fighting the very purposes of God because the Bible says what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Hallelujah. I know right now you're going, sweet Jesus, how in the world? All right, number five. God's placement of you is the perfect position to be seen by his plan. Now, I'm just telling you things I've learned. God found Joseph in a prison. God found David in a sheep field. God found Nehemiah drinking the king's cup so the king wouldn't get poisoned. God found the apostles while they were fishing. God found Paul in the religious system. God found Gideon by a wine press. God found John on a deserted island. You know, what's interesting to me is that we think we have to be positioned in a certain location in order for God to see us. But God, amazing as it may seem, can find you in the most unusual places. If you believe that the Lord orders your steps and watches over your life, then God knows exactly where you are, exactly what's going on, exactly what you need. And he's committed to fulfilling that in your life. I'll never forget Clayton. And Trace telling me the story about Darlene Sheck, the great worship leader of Hillsong, who now everyone knows who she is. She was stuffing envelopes. Is this not true? Stuffing envelopes in the youth department. Nobody knew who she was, but amazing God could find her. Billy Graham was under a small tent that nobody wanted to go to, but God found him. Right now, you're at a place, and I'm just telling you right now, you say... God couldn't even find me here. I'm telling you, he may have put you there and knows exactly where you are so that when he brings you out, everyone knows. Ain't no other way to explain it except that was God. It wasn't who you knew. It wasn't your connection. It wasn't your network. It wasn't how you massaged the system. God plucked you out and said, their world. See, and I'm yelling again. Why do I do that? I just yell all the time. Just, oh well. Number six, I'm hurrying. Your seasons will change through faith and obedience. How do you change a season in your life? I'm convinced that seasons don't necessarily change sovereignly. But God changes our seasons when we exercise faith and obedience. He doesn't care about how you feel. I know it almost sounds like God's callous, doesn't it? You know why God doesn't care how you feel? Because if he moved according to your feelings, he'd be on the roller coaster ride. That's why he doesn't move by what you feel. He moves by what you faith and how you obey. He wants you to operate in that realm. And that's why he doesn't move just because you have a feeling. Because if he moved over your feeling, then you'd be conditioned like Pavlov's dog to have those feelings and know that God moves. See, that's what we're used to in our human relationships. As if I give a feeling, if I get, if I get angry, if, if I pout, 
If I'm critical, if I'm this, people move. Therefore, it reinforces the very thing you're doing in order to get your way. Ha, let me tell you, God doesn't get reinforced that way. So you can't do that with him. But he says, if you'll exercise faith and if you'll obey, that is what will move God. Not your need. Your need doesn't move the Lord. Your faith will move the Lord. Your obedience will move the Lord. And you need to understand that you can, you can change a chapter in the book that's being written in your life just by being faithful and obedient. And finally, number seven, and this is the last one, this is what I've always learned, God leads you somewhere. You say, what does that mean? Have you ever heard someone say this? This is when you're dragging God into your agenda. Well, you know, my season's over. Really? Now, this could happen at church. It could happen at a job. <laughs> it, it, it can happen anywhere of a number of places. I've even heard it happening in marriages. Looking at your spouse going, well, my season's over. <laughs> Connect the dots. <laughs> my season's over. Well, this is really amazing to me. I'm always amazed at how God closes seasons, but then he never takes you anywhere. I've watched this for years. God, season's over, but God hasn't opened anything else up. Let me just share this. I don't, I, I, this is just me. I believe God doesn't stop one thing unless he's opening up another thing. You say, well, Abraham went to a land that he knew not, not knowing where he was going. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. He at least knew it was a land. Some people go out and they don't even know where they're going. I'm just being led. You better go back to go and figure out whether or not that was God. Because God leads you somewhere. If you don't have a direct place to go from the Lord, don't just throw in the towel automatically. Why would he close one door without having you pursue other things as he opens another? Now, it's interesting, and I'm going to end with this and we'll be done. Abraham is who he used in order to illustrate the patience and the timing of the Lord. But I thought it interesting that of all people he would choose to use in order to illustrate patience is the same guy that understands what happens if you're impatient. Because as you'll recall, Abraham decided God wasn't moving the show quite quick enough with this promised child that was going to happen. And so what did he do when Sarah's body was dead and it wasn't happening? What happened? He got a lady by the name of who? Hagar. And they decided they were going to help God out. And they birthed Ishmael. And Ishmael ended up becoming really the lineage of today what we know as the Arab people. And, and again, Ishmael had a wonderful promise from God. There's nothing wrong with the Arab people. Arab people, can, are, are, they're wonderful people. Uh, they, they, can, they can have a wonderful purpose in the earth through Ishmael, who God said he would use to do some wonderful things. But unfortunately, the lineage of Ishmael has been turned and twisted to become mostly Muslim. And they're working under a deception as a Muslim. And so here Abraham decides to help God out. He gets impatient with God, begins to, begins to do things that are out of the timing of the Lord. Ishmael is born. And you know what's interesting about that? For the next, what is it, 6,000 years at least since the birth of Ishmael, we have been dealing with Abraham's impatience. Do you understand there are soldiers dying right now? In the Middle East, because Abraham was impatient. 
but you never thought of it that way. I want to encourage you right now. Be patient and exercise faith. And if you really believe in God like you say you do, He, let me just tell you, He who is a uh, no respecter of any person will bring you into His promises. I, I will assure you, let, this is the good news. You may think your promise should have happened if you're like me, I'm in my 40s. And of course, I think all my promises should happen in my 40s. But, but I need to rest in this fact that whether or not all my promises happen in my 40s, God can cause me to live to my 90s. And in my 90s, he can bring to pass my promises. And one week with my promise will be far more effective than 50 years of what I felt like should have happened or could have happened if he'd have just got with the program. That's what he means when he says, I'll restore the years. I'll redeem the years. I'll cause, I'll cause 30 days in my promise to cause more fruit and influence to happen to you than 30 years of what you think should have been done. That's, that's the heart of God. That's the supernatural aspect of God. But the key, he looks at us and says, will you be patient? Will, will you rest in me? Will you do that? Stand with me, will you please? Thank you, Lord. Here's what I'm going to do right now. I want, right now, this is what I'd like to ask you to do. Right where you're standing, this is the part that you're going to have to admit it before the Lord. And more than admitting it to someone that's beside you because they know already. So don't be embarrassed by that. But just admit it before the Lord. If you would say honestly this morning, Lord, I need some help in this patience area right now, man. Help me out. I want you just to say, Lord, that's me. Help me out in this patience area. That's me. That's me. Guilty. Guilty. That's me. I want you right now, right there where you're standing, just to join me in this prayer just for a moment. Say these words. Say, Dear Jesus, by an act of my will, I repent from impatience. I trust you. I haven't always acted like it, but I'm getting it now. Help me to rest in you. Let me demonstrate faith and patience in order that I might be an inheritor of all your promises. I realize I am not an exception to your rules. I am being called to walk in your ways. I yield to that. I accept that. I find my joy in that. And thank you, I can trust you. Absolutely and completely. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I ask now by your spirit that you would come. And in Ecclesiastes 3, Lord, your word says that there's a time and a purpose for everything. There's a season to dance and to have joy, and there's a season to mourn and to weep. There's a season for everything, Lord, but what your word says is that you have put eternity in our hearts, that everything might be beautiful in its time. So, Lord, help 
us lay hold in our hearts at this very moment that eternal perspective. Help us, Lord, to understand that that if we drive too soon, we'll get in a wreck. Help us understand that if we lay hold of something according to our plan, we'll crash and burn. Lord, help us get your eyes and your ways and your timetables in our system so that we can rest in you realizing that you know perfectly when everything is right and in order what it is you can release into our hands so that we might be a testimony, that we might be, that we might, instead of being a derision that people can look at because of how we mishandled that we could be an oak that people could point at and say God works in that person's life. Lord, we lay hold of that this morning. I pray for this people, Lord, that you would put eternity in their hearts, that you would help them see and comprehend and understand. And Lord, be long-suffering and be patient as they mix it with their faith in order to see all the promises of God come to pass in their life. Would you just right now where you're standing, Clay's just playing, but just begin to love the Lord and just say, Lord, I trust you. Why don't you just begin to articulate your trust and your love towards the Lord right now, just personally. Just say it to Him. Just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. You don't. I understand people will burn you And people will not live up to your highest expectation, but you can trust the Lord. You can certainly trust the Lord. So tell them that. Just just say, Lord, I want to remind you today that I do, I really do trust you. I I trust you with my life. I, I trust you with what you're bringing in my life. I trust you with what you're producing. That you're not trying to harm me or hurt me, but you're trying to form me and fashion me. I just trust you. I am clay in the potter's hands. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just let him now put eternity in your heart. Let's just be patient. Just give him a moment to put eternity in your heart. Begin to let your heart assimilate right now and receive all that he has has unveiled and revealed to you. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. That, Lord, your time will come That your moment will happen. In the fullness of time, that promise will be revealed and unfolded. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what I want to do right now. Before we go, we do this almost in every service. But if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, or if right now... You're wayward and you're not walking with the Lord and you're just saying, you know, I need to get some things right in my life. Let me tell you, if, if, if you're not right with God, it's not that you're in a bad season. You're not even in tune. You're, you're, you, you, you've got to get your heart right with God. And that's not an embarrassing thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's what we call good news. He can't work in you until you restored relationship. And, you, and, and 
For some, it might be a first-time decision. Maybe you've never done that. Let me just tell you, for others, you may have made decisions in days gone by, but you know for a fact that, that you've not been walking in just what you know to walk in. And you're hindering what God could do, and He's got a great plan for your life. But you've got to deal... You've got to deal with the sin issue. You've got to deal with the wayward issue. You've got to deal with that. And we can't just let it go or wink at it. And the only way it's dealt with is at the cross through repentance. And when there's repentance, God sees and He moves and He acts. And it's amazing what He can begin to do. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what I want to ask. I don't want you thinking about who will think less or more of you. This is the deal. If you want the heart, the will, the ways of God, you've got to get back in tune with Him right now. And I'm standing right down here, and I'm guaranteeing you, this people will love you and encourage you, and we'll do everything we can to help you hit God's best for your life. But the one thing we can't do for you is to make you want Him and to get your heart right with Him. And so we take just a moment or two, and you know if that's you. I don't have to wait long. But if that's you right now, I want you to slip out. Don't you think, don't you let the enemy talk you out of it. Just slip out and come here and be with me for just a moment. And I want to pray for you and let's get some things straightened up. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God's got a great plan for your life. How about it? Come on, anyone else? Tracy, just come join me, Trace. Come on now. It's, it's, it's a courageous thing. Take just a moment. If you're not... If, if your heart's not right, you can just come on down. God bless you. God bless you. God's got a big plan for you. How about it? How about it? Come on, it's, it's the best thing. I'll just take a moment or two. I'd, I'd wait all day if I knew it would make a difference. But right now, you can... You can Make the choice. I can only take just a moment or two more. How about it? Holy Spirit, make it easy. If there's one other person, just make it easy for them right now to just say yes. Just say yes. Make it easy right now. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing a work that will keep on working even after we dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for these who have come. I want the whole congregation to join me right now. With these that are here down front, everybody together, pray with me out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, I bring myself to you as the author and finisher of my faith in life. I repent from old ways and walk in newness. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. He was raised from the dead. And your word says that upon that confession, I'm saved. Let resurrection power raise me up in the newness of life. I receive that as I receive you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. I got some guys that are going to pray here and some ladies and we're just going to pray and, and love on you. Listen, congregation, I want you to go out and rest in the will of God and in the heart of God. I want you to love each other, reach out to your neighbor, believe God for great and mighty things, and he'll do it in your life. And I hope to see you in the middle of the week, Wednesdays we pray. 
I hope to see you then. God bless you. Greet each other before you go. And you're released this morning. God bless you.